This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. We're back with the Paddock Pass podcast and a MotoGP theme after a summer break. Uh, the show is presented by Fly Racing, famed for off-road riding gear, but also with a wide choice of street attire. It's also brought to you by Rental Street Grips. From comfort to durability to grip diameter options, Rental Streets have a grip for everybody. Uh, my name is Adam Weeder. I'm hosting uh, today in the absence of uh, Steve English, who's preparing to head to uh, the mostest of the most uh, news circuits in the Czech Republic for the World Superbike. But I'm joined by David Emmett. Hello, Dave. Hello there, Adam. And of course, Neil Morrison. Hello, Adam. Guys, uh, before we um, tear into a little bit of uh, thoughts of Red Bull Ring, uh, the resumption of MotoGP duties this season, um, I'd just like to ask you how you both been? Because Dave, uh, the last time we were on the podcast, you were weighing up some uh, possible new motorcycle options. Um, have you got any closer to making a decision on, on what you might ride and uh, you know why? I certainly haven't. That would, um, <laughs> that would involve in making decisions and stuff. No, I've been sort of doing all sorts of things. And the other thing is, because uh, I, I actually have a couple of sort of test lines, uh, test rides lined up, um, but uh, speaking to the garage, uh, they said, look, there's no point in you doing it if it's not, uh, if, you know, if the weather's not dry. And it's been sort of on and off, raining on and off more or less uh, continuously, uh, except for the week where I was uh, away um, up near a place called uh, Leeuwarden, in a, in a small village called Tietjerk, which is hilarious if you're Dutch. Um, and where we stayed uh, in a little cabin next to some cows, which was great. It sounds uh, thrilling. Um, <laughs> Neil, what have you been up to? You've been, um, you know, experimenting with some, you know, uh, continental cuisine over the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I had a nice, uh, nice holiday. I was away for about 10 days from Barcelona. I had five days in Krakow in Poland, which was great. Uh, first time in Poland, beautiful city, cheap beer, uh, lovely food, weather was fantastic. Um, rented some nice bicycles and saw the city uh, that way and then went up to Brittany in uh, north of France uh, to the coast um, for five days there for a bit of a family in law, I guess you could say, bash, um, which was strictly only French. Um, so yeah, there was lots of really, really quite bad language being spoken on my part and uh, lots of hand gestures and, and kind of body movements to try and uh, make my point. Um, so just the boy got by, I think. But yeah, good to be good to be back. And a, a different kind of bad language than you normally uh, spout, Neil. <laughs> exactly yeah i mean my french is pretty awful but i do have a very good vocabulary of french uh naughty words so that's always something i guess can we <laughs> expect a little bit more flavor in the uh, motor two and motor three commentary regarding some of the the gallic uh, riders uh coming <laughs> red Bull ring yeah don't be surprised if you hear a few sacra blues and ulalas uh, in the coming days well it seems like you've learned a great deal then over your time there neil <laughs> let's uh, let's let's tear into uh, or let's tuck into MotoGP. It's been quite some time since we've really been able to talk about any pertinent subjects uh, to the to the championship. Um, we're about to head to uh, Austria for a double header to kick things off. Uh, at the moment, in the uh, the standings, let's just review what's going on. Fabio Quartararo has uh, a lead, uh, 156 points ahead of Johan Zarco. So two Frenchies there, Neil, just to you know warm up your. Uh, 
in your vocab in your adjectives for the weekend. Um, Pekka Bangnaya in third place, uh, the second of the Ducati riders, Joan Mir in fourth and Jack Miller in fifth. Uh, we got five riders split by 56 points. Uh, we're only halfway through the season, so it's, uh, I mean, would we say it's still reasonably open or, you know, would you say Fabio's inching nearer to placing a couple of fingers on that, you know, uh, spherical trophy? I would say that, um, uh, I would say it's still reasonably open if it weren't for the fact that we're going to have uh, back-to-back races in Austria um, where the KTMs and the Ducatis and even the Suzukis do much better than the Yamahas. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. It's not that the Yamahas are particularly slow around there because they've um, they've had some reasonable results, but they uh, they just get completely destroyed on top speed. Um, they just don't have the top speed, and even though they've got better acceleration uh, the, this year, that's been a big big uh, difference. Um, the climb up the hill from turn one up to turn two and turn three, uh, that long back straight, it, it just really, really murders the, um, uh, the Yamahas. And I think it's going to be a question for damage limitation. I think the championship is going to look a lot more open by the time we leave in two weeks time. Before we, um, you know, talk a little bit about Red Bull Ring, um, you know, personally, one of my favorite tracks on the calendar uh, Moto2 uh, is looking very much in the obviously in the grip of uh, Red Bull KTM Ayo Racing you know Remy Gardner's leading 184 points uh, Ralph Fernandez chasing him harder 153 we have uh, Marco Bezzecchi in third place on 128 and Sam Lowe's uh, on 99 so he's quite some distance behind you know the early kind of pace setter for Moto2 um, and Moto3 Pedro Acosta of course for the same Red Bull KTM Ayo team uh, Sergio Garcia is trying to keep pace um, Pedro's leading by 100. Well, he has 158 points. Sergio Garcia on 110, so 48 behind. Uh, so you, potentially catchable. Uh, Dennis Foggia in third place, and Romano, Romano Fernati on 80 points in fourth. So it's a little bit more spread in Moto3. I'm not sure how much we can read into that. I mean, of course, Acosta's dominance and emergence has been the the headline story in that category. Um, is there any reason to expect any surprises in Red Bull Ring for Moto2 and Moto3? And Remy Gardner, of course, will be looking to keep his consistency going. He had a hefty crash there, I think, two years ago. Uh, so maybe good memories and bad memories. Uh, any thoughts, Neil, just on you know any protagonists from those two classes showing their faces in, in Austria? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a continuation of, of the, the IO Red Bull KTM the domination that we, we've seen in the first part of the season. I guess you could say it's, it's their home race, even though they're using Calix frames, it's still kind of part of the KTM structure. Um, and all the KTM big bosses are, are obviously in attendance. So a bit of extra pressure is there for, for Aki Ayo's boys. But I think Gardner crashed in the first race uh, in Austria last year, but finished on the podium in the second race. Um, he's been outstanding so far this year, super consistent. And I don't really expect that to change. And yeah, I, I guess it is just about whether Ralph Fernandez can get his get his teeth into to Remy um, in a sustained fashion over the next couple of races. If, you know, if Remy manages to put together two or three race wins, now I think we could be looking at the championship being done and dusted. But um, but you know, Fernandez has also been has been great. Um, I think we're maybe expecting to hear something about him 
um, you know, maybe moving up to MotoGP quite soon. So maybe that would be another factor as well. His future being sorted for next year, that's something less he has to think about and worry about. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see those two guys, um, you know, kind of dominate affairs. Marco Bezzecchi won there last year, of course, as well. So he should be somewhere in the mix. Um, and then in, in Moto3, yeah, Acosta, I mean, it's, you know, we had crazy racing in Moto3 last year at the Red Bull Ring. Um but, you know, one thing that Costa's managed to do is even when he has a bad day as such, he, he still only loses a handful of points to his closest championship rival. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just no, he's the only kind of consistent figure really in Moto3 at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, even if Sergio Garcia or Dennis Foggia win a race, you wouldn't necessarily bet, bet on them finishing first or second in the following race you know it's just the kind of the nature of the of the class nature of the race and so i would say pedro Costa is in a, in a really good position um but i think you know trying to choose a model three race winner at the red bull ring is like picking names out of a hat <laughs> absolutely i'm trying to think actually uh shoddy research but um you know what Acosta posted in the red bull rookies if they raced there last year i think he won all the races okay so this is the second year in a row that we've had two grand prix um in austria so I might have to check. I know, you know, coming this weekend that, uh, you know, it's a packed support card. Not only are the Red Bull uh, MotoGP Rookies Cup racing once more, but then we also have the Asian Talent Cup, I believe. Uh, you know, when when MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 bikes are not on the track, there's still going to be a fair bit of noise. Yes. Just checking my my notes, Adam. Uh, there was four Rebel Rookies races in Austria last year and Acosta won all of them. So, uh, yeah, that kind of bodes well for for his chances this week. No, uh, the it's the Red Bull Rookies and Northern Talent Cup uh, for this weekend, so there is going to be almost continuous action. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed they didn't manage to squeeze in an, a, a a Moto E race as well. Dave, there will be there'll be a Moto E race at the second Austrian round. So uh, yeah, yes, of course we're looking at the uh, Grand Prix. Was it the Motorrad de Osterich as well as uh, Osteria? So. Um, Goodness me, the the the, neighbor, the names themselves are uh, difficult to wrap your mouth around. But um, Österreich, uh, we... what's difficult about Österreich? I mean, and Steiermark, it's really it's not all that difficult uh, uh, at all. God bless your Dutch tongue, there, Dave. Thank you for the help. Um, what, what are our thoughts on Red Bull Ring? I mean, like I said a moment ago, it's one of my you know favorite tracks for reasons. I mean, there, there feels like there's a lot to talk about when it comes to this particular venue i mean it has outstanding facilities as we know uh it's very scenic i mean you, you don't get there's there are very few circuits on the calendar that are just as picturesque um you know it's a, a very basic kind of layout just 10 corners uh but extremely fast uh, i think with 28 laps in the motor gb class it may be one of the most uh lappiest uh, races we have on on the calendar so and of course, you know, with the accidents and incidents that, you know, we saw in 2020, you know, Maverick Mignales losing his brakes and bursting an air fence. And of course, the turn three uh, drama that led to some of the worst memes I think I've seen in MotoGP history, um, you know, in terms of taste. Then, you know, there's there's, there's quite a lot of, uh, I would say, interest in, in MotoGP racing at this venue. Yeah, I'm, I, in terms 
of setting. It's one of the most spectacular settings at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, fantastic views. Uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, like setting and views, my favourites always, I mean, Magello, obviously. Uh, I haven't been to Phillip Island, but Phillip Island uh, uh, looks pretty good. Uh, and I have a very, I have a fondness for Aragon as well because of the, you sort of look out uh, across that vast plain. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, in terms of track layout, it produces fantastic racing somehow i don't quite know how but uh, perhaps because of the layout but um in terms of safety it's just not a it's not a safe track at all uh you know turn one is too close um uh, the, the turn the turn two and turn three which is basically that sort of fast kink and then uh the the, the right hand um it's one of the most challenging corners and it's a fantastic corner to watch people ride you can really see how hard it is to get through there um but again it's not safe um they th that needs fixing um the walls are very close or the barriers are very close down the back straight between turn three and four um uh, turn the, the the last corner there's not enough runoff there um so the facility is absolutely fantastic but it would be nice if um mr uh, matashitz would spend some money to make it a little bit safer for motorbike racing yeah i agree with that it's like a it as Dave said, that the setting is fantastic. The drive to the track in the morning is is pretty lovely. I had the good fortune of staying because there were no fans there last year. I was staying in Spielberg, the the town, five minutes from the track, and I had a, a bicycle to cycle in and out of the track too. And I can tell you, you know, the the scenery was just marvelous uh, coming in um, that way um, to the track. But you know, it is uh, it is a bit scary, and it it has got that kind of Mugello feel to it that. It's exciting, but one of the reasons it's it's exciting is that element of danger being ever present, um, and and all the points that Dave mentioned are uh, are, are valid, um, especially the run up to turn three. I think there's quite a bit of consternation among the riders that uh, there have been no changes to that part of the track since last year. Whenever there was that terrifying collision with uh, Zarco and Morbidelli, really so nearly took the lives of uh, of Rossi and Vinales. Um, so, yeah, and then we've got the, the element of weather. I think uh, the weather forecast is pretty lousy for this weekend. And I seem to remember um, maybe 2016, the riders saying that if it's wet, they weren't going to race. Um, or maybe it was 2017. Um, just because they felt it was it was, it was was too lethal. Um, that was obviously because, I think, of um, some car racing that had been at the track previously. Um, and they had left a lot of rubber on the run-up to turn one. And basically, any time the riders touched the brake going there, they just they crashed out. That, I think, has been eradicated. We've had some wet sessions since then, but I don't think we've had wet racing at the, at the Red Bull ring so far. So that could be something um, that uh, that is, you know, something to ponder really for uh, for the riders uh, for the weekend ahead. Yeah, I mean, it was formerly known as the Osterich ring, the A1 ring, uh, Red Bull ring now, of course. I mean, it's 25 years since it was kind of overhauled and it's been entertaining MotoGP since 2016. And like you say, Neil, we're still kind of waiting for any real adverse weather conditions. So it's, um, it's just going to be curious to see what happens when the, the clouds and the, the storms that have been kind of battering most of Northern Europe. Uh, I was in um, Belgium uh, last weekend for the MXGP and uh, just the bizarre scenario of having sun on one half of the circuit and then the other half of the circuit, just black skies, like they were drifting over from Mordor. Uh, so it was um, a little bit, you know, crazy trying to deal with the switching conditions. And I think this is a factor that teams will have to 
studied closely and be well aware that, you know, we could have a scenario similar to, say, Le Mans, where, you know, we have mixed sessions and potentially free practice sessions that will be chucked out the window for in terms of their usefulness for setup. Um, when it comes to the lap record itself at Red Bull Ring, it's still owned by Mark Marquez, uh, set in 2019. Of course, Mark did not race in Austria last year. Uh, so he's going to have to reset himself, especially with the present configuration he has on, on the Honda. Uh, it's curious to see how he will be getting on. But, um, you know, winners uh, from, you know, the MotoGP races we've had so far since 2016, mainly Ducati, uh, three different riders, Andre Inoni, Andre Delicioso and Jorge Lorenzo. Uh, you know, and then, of course, Miguel Oliveira making a breakthrough for KTM last year. So, I mean, is it is it a case where we're just going to be looking at Johan Zarco, Pekka Benaya, Jack Miller, you know, maybe one of the, the rookies on the Ducatis to create a surprise and pop up on the podium? Or is there, you know, maybe one or two other brands that could spring a surprise? What are your thoughts, Dave? Uh, I'm quite interested to see whether Suzuki do finally bring this uh, hole shot device uh, because the Suzuki's actually did pretty well last year. I mean, Juan um, Mir was uh, on his way to winning the race until it got uh, uh, until it got red, red flagged. Um, then didn't have another front tire. Uh, so he couldn't perform as well in the second race. Um, but yeah, the Suzuki's look pretty good. The, um, KTM's look pretty good. I mean, you know, Miguel Oliveira's, uh, win was pretty, was, was spectacular. And obviously they were battling with, um, uh, Polis Bargaro at the time as well. So I think uh, this is absolutely the point at which Ducati, uh, have to start clawing points back from, uh, Fabio Quasararo, uh, and they need to stop, you know, they, they need to get two or three bikes ahead of Quasararo to make sure to minimize his scores, basically, you know, to, to really start to eat into his, uh, into his championship lead. And it doesn't matter even all that much who it is that finishes ahead of them, as long as there are multiple bikes and uh, Quasararo finishes off the podium. If they can, Make sure that Quattararo is off the podium in both races. Then I think we've got a you know the, the championship opens up again. I think it's it's really interesting um, how this weekend is poised because as Dave mentioned, you know Suzuki, Juan uh, Mir came very close to winning the second race last year. Alex Rins actually crashed out of the lead of the first race, um, and Rins will be coming back hopefully in a better physical condition that he found himself in in Aston in the Saxon ring. Um, <clears throat> so you have to think about Suzuki being there. And then, yeah, the KTMs. I mean, <clears throat> I think Brad Binder was quite impressive in his first visit to the track. Um, he was always really good there in Moto2 and in Moto3. Um, and uh, and obviously Miguel Oliveira finds himself in great form as well. Um, and then it, I think we're going to see all four... <clears throat> Uh, GP21 Ducatis up there. I mean, Jorge Martin was always great at this track in the smaller classes. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we know about the form of, of, of Joan Zarco and then Jack Miller, obviously. Um, so it'll be interesting. Plus, in the past, you know, Yamaha, okay, had a bit of a disaster last year. Um, but we all know the problems of the 2020 M1. I think if you look the year before that, uh, Quartararo finished third. Um, Rossi was fourth, Vinales was fifth. So it was by no means a disaster for them. Um, the only thing I guess is that there are three other manufacturers with two bikes at least that can be fighting with them or maybe ahead of them. Um, but I don't necessarily think this is going to be a write-off for Yamaha. Um, those might be famous last words at the moment, but I think um, Quartararo showed that in 2019, if he is feeling confident on the bike, he can still make things happen. Um, and there are... 
you know that that third and fourth sector of the of the track that is a great those are great sectors for the MI those are pretty much tailor made for the MI bikes so obviously there's going to be struggles along sectors one and two those big um, scary uh, straights with uh, armco basically uh, either side of them but um, you know once you get to sector three and four I think um, that's pretty silky and, and ideal for someone of of quarter hour strengths. I mean, it's interesting that you're feeling quite positive, you know, on Yamaha's behalf, Neil, because it has been a dramatic track for them. I mean, everything from the public apology by the Japanese, you know, for the lack of competitiveness of the bikes, I think it was two years ago um, or 2018, perhaps. Um, and then, of course, 2020, you know, the braking issues that, you know, pretty much chucked Vinales into the gravel and also ruined you know, Quattararo's races, uh, you know, what, what, what is this team and this, this manufacturer, of course, they're going to be one rider down uh, compared to the usual lineup and having to draft Cal Crutchley, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, you know, do they come to this race or races thinking, okay, damage limitation, let's just try and get out of here as many points as possible? Or do you think there's, uh, you know, just some sort of quiet optimism in their camp? I think, I mean, there's going to be a bit more optimism because the one thing which uh, Yamaha has really improved this year is acceleration, especially acceleration coming out of slow corners. And there's a few of those slow corners um, where they can make the difference. We saw this at uh, Qatar as well, where we all thought it was going to be a Ducati track. uh, And yet, you know, Yamaha's won both of those races uh, precisely because they could accelerate out of that final corner and onto the straight um, and build up ahead of speed before they the, the sheer horsepower of the uh, of the Ducati is caught up. Uh, Ducati is supposed to be testing some new parts this week in Misano ahead of these uh, these races. Uh, if they can improve the acceleration, then that might uh, that might help the them sort of battle the the Yamas. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Um, we have. The question is, you know, what can Quattararo uh, do? Or I think it's less of a question of what can Quattararo do. Quattararo is obviously going to focus on making up as much time as possible through the the, the sections which Neil was talking about, you know, sections three and four, um, through that twisty part, and then uh, just managing the rest of the circuit. Um, yeah, Maverick Vinales, which Maverick Vinales turns up? Um, Valentino Rossi, what, what has the summer break done for him? Uh, uh, all of these things are uh, are going to be sort of big question marks. And I think one of the things that will work in Quadraro's favour is the fact that, um, yes, it's a Ducati track, but there are going to be three, maybe four Ducatis really competitive there. And it's not a certainty that Johan Zarco will be the fastest of them because we know Jack Miller goes well here. Um, Pekka Banya has made big strides here in the previous years. I really think Miguel Oliveira and Binder, as I said, will be there. The two Suzukis, so... Even if Cordero finishes 7th or 8th, it's not like he's going to be losing 15 points to Johan Zarco in each race. I could be wrong, but, um, you know, I don't think it's any any certainty that Zarco will be, um, you know, the man absolutely at the front dominating these weekends. Are we overlooking the elephant in the room? Because we forgot to, we, we keep on not mentioning Mark Marquez, and Mark Marquez has had five more weeks for his arm to recover. He's had some time off for a mental break. Uh, because basically he's been sort of flat out either on recovery or racing for the past, what, two and a half years, um, uh, what with shoulder surgeries over the winter and then breaking his arm. Um, and he's been riding bikes, uh, uh, which is what it would, he'd really, really been missing. You know, he, that, that was some of that sharpness that he'd lost uh, just by not being able to train on, on motorcycles. Um, so, yeah, and we know how good he is here. You know, he's he's come close to winning. Um, 
could this be i mean you have to think he's going to be close to the podium and he's going to go well at this track i i agree with you dave i think it's it's one of the big um well it's one of the big mysteries like mark as you said has, has a great record here um and has really pushed ducati to the very limit um pretty much in the last three races that he's been there um taking it right to the last couple of corners in fact um but if you think back to last year um i know takanakagami had um a really good second race in uh, in austria and was actually in second before the red flag uh, but he was obviously on the 19 bike then the 20 bike which has the same engine as you know this year's bike they had an absolute nightmare um and you know those issues with um the engine inertia i seem to remember was just playing havoc with those guys in the braking areas i think the best place 2020 honda last year in race one was 14th alex marquez and alex marquez again in race two 16th so um obviously honda have um seemed to make improvements in recent weeks uh, in that regard um in recent races in fact um but yeah you wouldn't say that um that the, the honda that marquez finds himself on will be perhaps perfectly matched to this track but i could be wrong um and as you say he showed fantastic form just before the summer break finished two brilliant rides in germany and, and Aachen, and um you know he's had a, a time off to to mentally refresh to basically physically recover some more and yeah i don't know if mark is going to be winning races this weekend but yeah i wouldn't bet against it when we get to silverstone or maybe a little bit later um, in the, year. Uh, I, I, the one thing which mark marcus had been doing this year is he went all the way back to the 2019 chassis not engine obviously you can't change the engine um so it looks like they are, you know, looking more towards that sort of direction, um, which w w might help around there. And also, uh, as I understand it, the uh, Honda actually has an external flywheel, um, which the Ducati also has, which is a way of managing inertia. It means that they can change it at different uh, racetracks. Um, uh, it will be interesting to see if they sort of play around with that to try to to, to try to improve uh, that as well. So yeah, I think I'm I, I expect Marquez to be at least on the podium, um, and you know he's going to want to try to win here just because this is the, I think the only track left on the circuit uh, uh, on the calendar which he hasn't won at, apart from Portimao. Oh yeah, yes, obviously apart from Portimao. Yeah, but Portimao's new, so. Uh, and he'll have another chance to win there later in the year, of course. Yeah, exactly. Guys, let's take a, a small break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the uh, silly season that's still going on inside MotoGP. And then um, a return of some of the pensioners to the premier class in uh, the sport. Renthal Street, Chain and Sprockets are perfectly matched for maximum power transfer and efficiency. From racetrack to daily rider, with over 800 fitments, Renthal Street has a final drive solution for almost any bike. Use Renthal.com to find the correct fitment. The Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street Grips. Uh, we're back talking MotoGP again, the second half of the season, Red Bull Ring coming up. Uh, we've got some new riders on the grid, Dave and Neil, uh, you know, and a former of wildcards, Danny Pedrosa, making his very first uh, Grand Prix appearance with a brand that's not Honda. Um, you know, is this, uh, Danny's uh, publicly spoken about the occasion, 
maybe it's a way to refresh his knowledge of MotoGP uh, when it comes to using things like whole shot devices um, and also running the rule over a slightly modified KTM uh, for the Grand Prix in terms of, you know, his, his role as a development rider. But then, of course, uh, Cal Crutchlow, you know, as per his contract and as we suspected, you know, uh, able to enact a, a fill-in role for the injured Franco Morbidelli and set to contest the next three races. Um, that's hiking the average age of the category up somewhat. Um, Neil, first of all, what's what are your thoughts on these two guys? I mean, is it realistic or unrealistic to expect, you know, Danny and Cal to make much headway into the top 10 or, you know, into perhaps even a dispute for the podium places? Uh, yeah, I would say that is unrealistic um <clears throat> i mean firstly pedroza last raced in 2018 at the end of, of of that season so we're talking about um yeah two and a half years without racing um he hasn't necessarily been setting the world on fire uh, with recent testing performances um and some of the things that i had heard prior to his wildcard being confirmed um from people within ktm were that they felt maybe his influence as a test rider, was um, dwindling somewhat um, just because he hasn't really been so fast recently. So I'm quite intrigued to um, to maybe hear Pedroza speak and to, to kind of hear a bit more about some of the motivations behind this wild card because it does seem quite perplexing to me. Pedroza never really gave the impression that he, he really wanted to come back and do some races. It seems maybe that this is more of a, a KTM initiative. Um, but, um, yeah, I think to be expecting him to be up there is... Uh, after two and a half years off, or, you know, away from racing, is is slightly unrealistic. And then Crutchlow, I think it's it's just going to be tough for him because of the bike he'll be on. He's, he'll be on Franco Bobadelli's bike, the 2019 essentially uh, Yamaha M1. You look at the top speeds that um, Morbidelli was posting at Mugello. He was 21 kilometers down on the Ducatis uh, along the main straight at Mugello, and he was eight kilometers slower than the second slowest bike, which is Fabio Quartararo. So that is a massive, massive amount uh, of top speed to be given away. And just because of that, I think it's going to be a t it's going to be tough for him to, to kind of uh, to be up at the sharp end. Um, maybe he can get in the slipstream and, and you know stay around the, the top ten positions. But yeah, it's a it's a big ask, I think, for Cal. On your original point, Neil, I'm sure you'll be far more interested to hear what Danny has to say rather than Danny will be interested in talking to the media again. Uh, probably his uh, his least favorite aspect of being a Grand Prix rider. Um, but no, I mean, good points. I think, uh, you know, from my personal view on the subject with Pedrosa, uh, there, you know, he, there was an offer for him to race again, uh, you know, with the Johan Zarco debacle. Uh, two years ago uh, with the factory team. Uh, he thought about it. He decided not to do it. So, uh, you know, I think Pedrosa has been contemplating an active return to competition. Uh, maybe there's just a, a strange part of, I mean, it's with these riders, it's uh, Jorge Lorenzo, the same thing. There was endless speculation about whether he would return, whether the offer was right for him to return. And, you know, I guess there must be something about the lifestyle or the experience of close quarter, you know, uh, proximity with, 350 kilometer an hour vehicles that is just somewhat addictive um you know these guys need to uh get some sort of release of adrenaline somehow um as for crutch those things like you say now i think he's on a little bit of a hiding to nothing um i mean is he there in the patronus colors merely to be a moving uh billboard for a set of sponsors or you know do you think yamaha could possibly say something to him about some form of data collection like you say on a two-year-old bike then it's, it's it's a largely uh i 
don't know, maybe a PR exercise. I, I do wonder how Cal is going to be able to approach these couple of races, one of which being his home Grand Prix at Silverstone, for, fully in the knowledge that he's uh, maybe just fulfilling a contractual obligation. I mean, I think um, for Crutchlow, it's not like he's had a massive amount of time on the on the M1, um, on any spec of M1 this year. You know, he was testing in Qatar, but we know that this was one of the, well, probably the, the shortest preseason in, in recent MotoGP history. Um, so he didn't have a great deal of time testing there. Um, and then since then, I mean, you might have to, to correct me here, but if I'm not wrong, he's had, what, two tests max since then? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he's had two tests. Uh, Arag- I want to say Aragon and Misano, but I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, and also, was he not the, the either at the Jerez or the Barcelona test? Anyway, he has done some private testing. I know that, and I think he's also been in Japan. But it's not been, you know, it's not been a real rigorous testing program. Yeah, it's not been M- Michele Pirro levels of um, uh, uh, twelve trillion laps around Misano. Exactly, and we know Cal obviously has, has a lot of experience with the M1 um, back from his Tech 3 days, um, 2011 to 2013, you know, three years on the bike, um, but he has spent an awful lot of time on the Honda recently, and I think that maybe the the Red Bull ring is, is, a, is a chance for him just to get further track time, to get to understand the riding style, and then, you know, the big weekend for him, for Cal has to be, it has to be a, a gradual build-up, surely, to Silverstone, because we know he's fantastic at the track, the bike works brilliantly there. Um, home race huge thing because we don't have a British rider in the series this year um, you know I would say that the, the Red Bull ring is more uh, get used to the bike and get up to speed again to racing speed um, before the big home race I was just checking the um, top speeds um, also because the, the Red Bull ring is not really like Mugello Mugello really is a, 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 um, a top speed track in the fact that you come onto that finals straight carry already carrying a lot of speed um and so you can actually you can actually make a lot of uh, uh, you end up going very very fast at the end of the straight uh, red bull ring you're going a bit slower out of that final corner and there's a couple of other places where you know you've got slow corners um and the acceleration of those bikes is still pretty good the even the acceleration of the 2019 bike uh, and the top speed difference was only uh, between morbidelli last year between morbidelli and dovicioso was 11 kilometers an hour um and you know morbidelli was basically you know, threatening on uh, just checking 309 k- um uh, kmh and 310 for the uh, for Rossi and for Quattararo so the, the, there's not that much of a deficit so I think that's going to be a little bit less of it I think um, it is going to be a bit tricky for uh, for, uh, for Crutchlow he is going to have to get up to speed and again that bike is definitely the most underpowered on the grid so he has a disadvantage um, but of course another reason for doing it is it's actually a nice little earner um, uh, the riders are rewarded quite well for doing these wild, uh, wild card performances or, or, or replacement riders um, so uh, yeah it's, it's a nice way of, of of supplementing their income and I think for Pedrosa it's definitely much more about actually sort of getting some of the sharpness back again and you know just picking on what you were mentioning there Neil about Crutchlow and Silverstone I mean that is a, a real introdu- reintroduction back to MotoGP isn't it I mean we know that the UK have dropped a lot of their restrictions for sporting events, you'd expect a big crowd, um, you know, at the British Grand Prix, maybe the biggest crowd we've seen, you know, at MotoGP for, you know, almost two years. Uh, Crutchlow, as you said, will add some uh, home 
presence in the premier class and uh, you know he has a good pedigree at the circuit so that's he's going to be entering into quite a whirlwind of attention media attention focus whatever else I mean that's that's quite a pressurized uh, situation for a, for a fill-in rider yeah exactly yeah and I mean obviously um, a lot of time has passed since then but I don't think you know we last spoke to Cal just before the Qatar test back in um, when was that March I guess it was yeah um, and certainly from his comments at the end of last year and maybe even his comments at the, at the start of this year um, he wasn't given the impression that he was that fussed about making a, a race in return but you know obviously um, you know Franco's injury is, is something else um, and um, and he's there to, to deputise for him but I think it's it's great it's great to see Cal back it's great to see him back on the Yamaha and um, yeah I mean to have a British rider a really strong British rider um, <clears throat> for the British Grand Prix at Silverstone can only be a good thing so um, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on maybe not expecting too much this weekend but um, yeah I think Silverstone will be a, a different ball a different ball game there were pre-season you know hopes and expectations and a lot of talk about Franco Morbidelli um, there is still you know uh, some kind of speculation about what he'll be doing next year I mean he's missing three races because of his knee injury are we are we quite surprised that that injury has turned out to be quite so serious that he's missing those you know these crucial weeks no, I mean uh, as I understand it the uh, basically the recovery time for uh, an AC for ACL surgery um, it's something like eight weeks or something, uh, which is exactly the period which he has decided to miss by actually having the, ser the uh, having the surgery. And uh, again, uh, it's one reason why uh, certainly road races uh, and sometimes uh, motocross races, but perhaps you know better, uh, uh, Adam, but um, they choose not to have the surgery just because they can't miss the training time. And it's an injury you can manage usually. Um, it, it's not an injury which slows you up very much, but the fact that I think he is going to have this surgery, get it fixed, to me that says he has a promise of a, you know, he's looking to 2022, uh, and if he's looking to 2022, the reason he would be looking to 2022 is, gonna, is he's going to be on a 2022 bike and probably in the factory team, especially now that Maverick Vinales has um, decided to decided to leave. Yeah, we'll take another quick short break here on the Paddock Pass podcast. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, Italians and saddles and Yamahas in particular. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Back to the last section of the new Paddock Pass podcast show presented by Fly Racing. Thanks, guys, and Rental Street Grips again. Uh, if there's any kind of talk or endless kind of news and, and uh, wonderment about MotoGP at the moment, then it is the, the future of Valentino Rossi. Uh, we're no closer to really getting any news on what he's going to decide. You would assume any kind of announcement about will he stay or will he go will come next month uh, when we visit Misano in his home round. Uh, from what we've seen online, um, from what we think, uh, will he stay another year? My, my two cents worth is that I think he will. I think he'll continue for another season if only to bed in his brand new team 
um, and maybe fulfill some of the high expectations that his new sponsors have for a suitable presence around this race team, rather than, say, running Luca Marini in his second year and somebody like uh, Marco Bezzecchi as a rookie in the first year. I think that V that VR46, that huge uh, day-glow yellow number, will be something that the you know the sponsor or even the sport you could say would insist on what do you think guys is he gonna hang around um uh, personally i found it really interesting there was an interview with um uchio salucci his um, uh, assistant and who helps him uh, basically he's in charge of running the vr46 uh, operation the vr46 team and uh, uh uchio said that um, Valentino doesn't want to retire with results like these. Now, the problem is, these are the results that he's got, and they, there's no, not been any real sign that those results are going to be much better in the future. I mean, perhaps he might get, <clears throat> you know, he might even score another podium, but switching again back to Ducati, going to ride for VL4 to, for his own team on a different bike is going to be really difficult. It'd be really difficult for him to be competitive. There is, I, I cannot imagine, I cannot see a way how he is going to be competitive on a completely different brand of bike in the first year straight away. The Ducati requires a completely different riding style, even though they've fixed a lot of the issues that the bike had when he was uh, racing with Ducati. Um, the, the, the basic character of the beast is still there. It is still a point and squirt bike. You know, you, um, you, accelerate as hard out the corner as possible you break as hard as possible into the corner uh, and you spend as little time as possible on the side of the tire that's the way that you ride a uh, ride a ducati it is not a corner speed bike um and valentino rossi's riding style is still a corner speed style so i think he would struggle i think it would be a bad move the question is whether he has the political power to be able to say no because um the, the sponsor, you know, Saudi princes are not known for being sort of liberal and broad-minded and uh, sympathetic towards uh, anyone other than, uh, well, uh, people whose face appears on currencies, basically. Uh, so I, I, I think that he may not have an option to refuse if he uh, is on a, um, uh, if he's on a, uh, if he's on a Ducati, if he's with, with the Ar Ar Aramco, if they decide, if his sponsor decides, you know, look, you either you're on the bike or the team is not getting the money. Um, he may not have a choice, but I don't know. I think it would be better for him to retire. I think it's, uh, I can't see his, uh, results improving. Um, if he wants to continue racing, then fine, you know, continue racing, but I can't see his, uh, him getting any better. I mean, Dave, there must still be a large amount of effort and desire there to race. I mean, essentially, he's kind of flogging a dead horse, both in terms of the package that he's on and his synergy with it. I just do wonder if, you know, he has two riders in the VR46 structure that are riding Ducatis this year. Uh, you know, he must have talked with them, you know, in depth. There must have been some comments about what that bike's like to ride. I do wonder if there's a certain part of him that's curious to try another machine to maybe try and refine some competitiveness in MotoGP, that might just be enough to, to tip the scale and, and make him think, right, I'll give it one more go and we'll, we'll try something else. Yeah, I mean, it could be a final roll of the dice. It could absolutely be a final roll of the dice, but I think that's what it would be, sort of almost desperation. All right, well, this is one more thing we can change to see if we can if we can be fast again. But it's a massive, massive risk, and it's a huge uh, just challenge. Just changing brands is difficult. There are very few riders who swap uh, brands, especially now. There are very <coughs> few riders who swap brands and, and are fast straight away. 
I mean, I, I'm kind of quite intrigued to know what the situation is exactly with, you know, with um, with, with the, the, the Saudi royal family and the backing for this team because the it has been quite interesting how, obviously. Um, I think it was a PR agency that is linked to, is it Tanal Entertainment? Yeah, they, they basically have released the news that they're in partnership with Rossi and Rossi's VR46 brand for 2022. Yet there have been uh, other press releases sent out, I think from the Saudi royal family saying like this still hasn't been agreed on. Um, so there's been this kind of weird mixed message coming out where it's like, what's actually happening here? And you do start to wonder, has Rossi basically not realized that him being part of the team is kind of dependent on that backing? Um, and it would be quite interesting for, you know, the the sport's most famous ever rider um, and a guy that's basically been able to do as he pleases for the majority of his career um, to, to kind of be backed into a corner like this. Um, you know, he said at Aston that it would be very difficult for him to, to appear on a Ducati next year, yet noises kind of closest to, or close to his camp in, in the last couple of weeks have been indicating that, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of an increasing possibility. Um, you know, if, if, if Uccio Salucci is saying that uh, he wants Rossi to continue and he hopes that he does, you know, he's, he's the man that's got Rossi's ear. Um you would say that it really is a possibility. So I think it's it's really intriguing. Um, and I would have to echo Dave's sentiments in that it's a massive challenge. I mean, I don't think jumping onto a Ducati is any, has any guarantee of, uh, of him suddenly being uh, competitive again. Let's uh, move straight on to this weekend, of course. Uh, you know, we're enthusiastic about seeing racing again. I mean, it's been a sizable break uh, caused by the shuffle of the calendar. Um, you know, the first uh, Grand Prix, like we said, at Red Bull Ring, what are our kind of predictions? They make absolutely no sense. And it's a really like dropping a pin on a page uh, to make any kind of forecast, you know, for for the resumption of racing. But, um, you know, any thoughts about who looks more likely or who tickles your fancy? Dave, you first. Mark Marquez. I'm going to go with Mark Marquez. Um, I think um, he uh, he wants to win at the Red Bull Ring. Uh, he has had time off to recover. He's been riding bikes. Uh, I think he is, he's, he's hungry. He's, um, his ambition. Um, I think he's just going to win it on ambition because, you know, he's, it's been a long time since he won anything. Uh, apart from, you know, Saxon Ring, that was really important. But now, like Saxon Ring was, uh, he was almost expected to win that. It was sort of, it was, he was almost obliged to win this. Whereas this is a challenge. Um, it's a right-hand circuit, not a left-hand circuit. Uh, so I think he's going to be one to watch. And I think also Miguel Oliveira. I'm going to be re very interested to see what, what happens with, um, uh, with Oliveira. I, he is very much my dark horse for the, uh, uh, for the weekend. Um, it would be fun seeing Rossi racing Oliveira. I think that, oh, sorry, not Rossi, Marquez. Marquez versus Oliveira, I think would be fantastic. Uh, and then we've got to see what happens with the GKs. You know, Jack Miller had a really strong race last, uh, last year. So let's see. I think it's, um, yeah, I think those names that you mentioned, Dave, could all be in the mix, probably will be in the mix. Oliveira, Marquez, for sure. Um, I think Jack Miller is going to be very competitive here um, on the podium twice uh, in Austria last year. Um, possibility of rain. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, if I had to put some money on, on anyone at the moment, it would probably be Jack Miller. Although I'm intrigued to see just how well Zarco goes because Zarco is fantastic at the uh, at the Red Bull Ring um, in his Moto2 days. Really brilliant. Um, I think he 
calls this one of his favorite tracks as well. Um, I think he had a good ride his first year um, on Yamaha machinery in MotoGP2. Um, and then Joanne Mir, I have to think that, um, you know, this is one of his favorite tracks. He, he was great on, in Moto3, got his first win here and 2016 in Grand Prix racing and um, you know very nearly won the race the second race last year so um, yeah I mean I think there's five six names that you have to stick in the mix as, as possible winners and that's one of the most just exciting things about the whole thing is there really are a whole bunch of people because you, you sort of sit down and think oh yeah yeah no it'll be him oh yeah and him and what about him and what about them and all of a sudden you've got like seven or eight names who are all in with a genuine shout of the podium and you know maybe four or five names with a genuine shout of the win so it it really is going to be a i think it's going to be absolutely fascinating um, and Dark Horse, I'm going to have to say Jorge Martin. He's on the latest Ducati machinery. He's had a summer to recover from the injuries he sustained in Portimao. And um, just going off Jorge's performances in the smaller classes in Austria, I mean, he, he showed up, I think, what, six days, seven days after breaking a bone in his right wrist in Moto3 in 2018 and stuck it in the podium. Um, I think he might have even qualified in the front row as well. Uh, won a Moto2 race last year. Um, was really unlucky actually not to win both Moto2 races last year um, at Spielberg. And um, we saw how good he can be when he's had one race, basically a full race weekend to practice, then go on to a second race at the same track in a short space of time. So um, I think uh, Jorge Martin could be maybe a shot for top five, top six, maybe not this weekend, but next weekend at the at the Austrian Grand Prix. You know, I was going to accuse Dave of spreading his bets across 10 riders, but then your uh, lack of conviction is equally lame. Um, my two cents worth, I, I'll go for a Mark Marquez, Miguel Oliveira, last corner uh, battle. Um, and, you know, I'll have to agree with the consensus and say Joan Mir on the third spot. No Ducatis. No Ducatis. On the Spielberg podium. I know. I know Neil, but you know it's it's uh, it's going to be like that. And I'm not going to say start saying you know oh yeah because I mean like you said Jorge Martin was so strong in Moto Two as well. You know one of the most controversial uh, Grand Prix res uh, results or scenes last year uh, with that sort of minute slither of green off track limits deciding the race. Um, I really hope we don't see any other scenes like that, uh, to be honest. Uh, I will be curious to see if uh, the circuit have kind of um, touched up those areas at all, you know, if they've made them slightly wider or less prone to, um, you know, affecting the results after the checker flag has fallen. But um, this brings us to the end of the Paddock Pass podcast. Uh, we will be doing our updates daily from uh, from Austria. Now I'll see you there. Dave will connect and uh, chat through what we've seen and heard through the debriefs. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening. Uh, we're on Twitter, of course, Paddock Pass Pod. Follow us there, or if you already do, just drop us a line, give us some feedback. Um, what have we said that you uh, violently disagree with? Or yeah, are we talking rubbish? Or are we spot on? Um, are our very hazy and lazy predictions anywhere near the mark? Please let us know. We appreciate any feedback, any questions. Um, if there are any dying or very important issues you'd like us to talk about in the Paddock Pass pod, then just let us know and we'll tackle them. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll hope to have your attention through the Patreon channels and of course through the usual places where you get this podcast on uh, Friday in Austria. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. 
All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.